Good morning. <coughs> it's nice to be with you on a lovely sunny day in Bangor. <coughs> That's the gospel passage for today that uh, Stephen just read for us, the set passage for today, very familiar passage. Two wonderful stories, two magnificent stories of Jesus intervening in sickness and in death, of Jesus stepping into people's lives, of Jesus making a difference. And it's one of these real exciting stories about Jesus doing that. It's spectacular stuff. Let's never forget how incredible these miracles are. We've heard them maybe Sunday school times right through in our lives. We've heard of these two stories. But they're incredible. They're um, astounding miracles of Jesus at work. There's a real wow factor to this. And the crowd were caught up in that wow factor about Jesus himself at this particular time. This was one of the real uh, significant times in Jesus' life when his works were mighty and powerful and his words were reaching all, all through uh, the Galilee area particularly. He'd just come back from a, a trip to the Gergesenes where he'd released a man who was bound by legions of demons. He'd set him free and he'd just come back over the lake and he arrived in Capernaum, which was his home base in so many ways. But he met two people who were in desperate need. Two people very different from one another, two people very distinct from one another. And let's look at the first of these. He's a guy called Jairus. His face should be up on the screen there. Uh, at least uh, an image of him should be up on the screen there. And Jairus is the first man we meet in the story alongside Jesus. Now, Jairus is a synagogue ruler. He's the local synagogue re ruler in, in, uh, in Capernaum. And as such, he's a man in a quite comfortable position in the society. He's quite respectable, highly thought of, uh, uh, not looked down upon, not despised by people. He's quite a respectable guy. He's quite well off, probably financially. It's a kind of middle-class kind of scenario a, a synagogue leader in those particular days would have been. But he's a man in trouble. He's a man in deep, deep trouble. He's a man in desperation. He's a man who's got a daughter, she's 12 years of age. For 12 years, hopefully, it seems, he enjoyed her life and vitality about the house. For 12 years, he'd had her to love and to be loved by her. For 12 years, she meant so much to him. But now, it's desperation time. Now his daughter's sick, and more than sick, she's at the point of dying. That's what he says to Jesus. Lord, will you come to my house? My daughter's dying. And you can feel in Mark's words, in the other gospel writers' words too. You can feel the agony and the desperation and the plea. Please, Jesus, come to my house. My daughter is desperately ill. She's dying. He's had her for 12 years, but it looks as though he's about to lose her, and his heart's breaking. But there's another person who comes into the story right away then. Hit the next slide, please. The next woman who significantly 12 years means a great deal to you. She's unlike Jairus. She's not respectable in the community, not because she wouldn't have been a respectable woman in her own life, but because she's suffering from a disease that basically is making her ritually unclean and an outcast in many ways in society. She's had an issue of blood, is what the way they describe, the Bible writers describe it. She's been bleeding menstrually for 12 years nonstop. And she's physically in her erect place. Spiritually, she's challenged deeply. Financially, she's bankrupt because she spent all the money that she had trying to get doctors to cure and it only made things worse. So she's bankrupt. 
Emotionally, she's probably bankrupt. Very different from Jairus. He could go to the synagogue and at least find comfort from God's Word. She wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue because she would be classed as unclean. Not because there's anything wrong with women. Not because she was an oppressed woman that sometimes people daftly say about some of these stories in the Bible. It was actually a disease that made her unclean, medically speaking. And it meant that basically she was isolated from others in case there was contamination uh, through the, the, the bleeding, in case there was contamination. That's just the way things were understood. And it was for medical reasons that she was unclean and an outcast, not religious reasons. But she was desperate, really, really desperate. Spent everything she had emotionally, financially, energy-wise, health-wise. She was at the end of her tether, at the end of her resources, if you like. And it's been going on for 12 long years. 12 years is a long time. When you have a daughter like Jairus who's 12 years old and you look back over all those years of life, from babyhood, from birth and babyhood, toddler, child, see her changes, all the love and energy shared, 12 years is a long, long time. But just imagine this woman, 12 years without relief from either the disease or from the conditions that the disease brings on. 12 years is a long, long time. Next one, please. So both these people are in desperation. Jairus is desperate for his daughter's health to be restored before she dies, her life to be given back to her. The woman's desperate for some release from this awful bondage, this slavery, this chaining that she's got because of her physical condition. Both are desperate. But you know, in some circumstances, and in these two circumstances, definitely, sometimes desperation leads to faith. Sometimes desperation is the engine room that produces faith, or the generator that produces faith. And instead of these people running away from God and running away from Jesus because of their troubles, they were driven to Jesus because of their faith. They were driven to Jesus out of desperation. The other reason they were there that particular moment, if you hit the next slide, is that they realized that faith needs to take some risks. Faith needs to take the risk of going to Jesus and expecting him to help. Jairus had to take the risk of seeing himself, if you like, pointed at by other synagogue goers. This man thinks Jesus is the Messiah. This man went to Jesus for his daughter to be healed. Jesus is someone basically we don't recognize. And this man, our synagogue ruler, he went to Jesus. That's not good. That's not respectable. Jesus is not a respectable rabbi. The woman, she was in desperation. And she took the risk of going into a crowd because there was a crowd gathered around Jesus. A crowd were walking with him in excitement. They were all uh, gathered around him and pushing and shoving and uh, all sorts of exciting, uh, caught up in all sorts of excitement round about him. All things like that going on. And this woman took the risk of pushing her way through the crowd. Now, if anybody had recognized her, they may well have pushed her away. She was classed as an outcast. She was classed as unclean because of her disease. They would have pushed her away. They would have blocked her. They would have got in front of her and not allowed her through. If the disciples had realized that she was there and what her condition was, they would have tried to pull her away from Jesus. They both took risks. The woman's risk is identified in that she reached out. The only thing she could do, to do so secretly, 
would be to reach out and touch the edge of his robe as he went by. And it may well be she had to lie on the ground to do that. It may well be that, like that photograph would, would recognize. But she was prepared to take the risk. And you know, that's how you spell faith. Bible faith. Faith that is exhibited by these two people. Faith that's generated, energized, produced in the engine room of desperation. That faith is prepared to take risks. That faith counts the cost and realizes the risk is far more important than sitting back and being comfortable and sitting back and not doing anything. So the woman took the risk. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K in the Bible. Next slide, please. And the other provoker of faith is the presence of Jesus. If the people are desperate and need God's intervention, Jesus is their answer and they know that. And here's Jesus available to the people. Here's Jesus with the crowd. Here's Jesus allowing himself to be touched by this woman. Here's Jesus responding to the request by faith of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Jesus is available. He's not surrounded by some sort of barriers. You know, in the church, we're well good at, barrier, at putting barriers around Jesus. We're well good at putting barriers that keep people away from Jesus. But Jesus will not allow such barriers. And in Capernaum that time, there were no barriers. People were pushing him and shoving him, and the disciples were trying to keep him sort of up on his feet and moving on. But Jesus was available, available to Jairus. And Jairus had no hesitation going to Jesus. He didn't think he was going to be snubbed. Available to this woman who was an outcast, who had wanted to touch the robes of his cloak. He wasn't isolated from the crowd. He was a holy God. He was a holy Savior. He was a holy man. But that didn't make him unavailable to the people. His holiness was not that of the Pharisees and the church leaders who kept, and the Jewish leaders who kept themselves away from the people, who isolated themselves, put barriers around them. And church, we need to listen today because we need to be out there available to people. We need to be out there identified as Jesus' people out there in the community. When we gather inside, it's for encouragement, it's for worship, it's for praise, it's for upbuilding, and it is for evangelism and outreach too when we're inside the church. But we need to go out there as representatives of Jesus. Be available out there as representatives of Jesus. In your workplace, if somebody's in need, do they see you as someone who knows Jesus? And see if you can help them in any way. Maybe pray for them and ask, to, ask you to pray for them. In your neighborhood, are you known as someone who loves Jesus and who will help with any circumstances or situations that crop up? Help in any way you can, not least in prayer, which is vital. Are you known as a disciple of Jesus, available to the people in your community, in your streets, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your colleges? Are we available to Jesus? Jesus was available then to the people, the people of Capernaum, the ordinary people. They didn't have to go through some sort of ritual to get to him. But not only was Jesus available to them, Jesus was able to help. Jesus was able to help the woman and to help Jairus. Able to do mighty things. We're not. He can through us. But he was able to do and is able to do through us mighty things, mighty acts, mighty deeds. We need to realize that. If we're available to him and available to the people, Jesus is able to do things through us for them. That's the way it's meant to be. 
But here we see what happened. We, here we see the outcome. Next slide, please. Jesus is touched by the woman, at least his cloak is touched by the woman, and he realized something has happened. He realized that somehow power had gone out from him. Religiously speaking, when the woman touched Jesus, impurity should have went from her to him. This was Jesus, not the Pharisees. When she touched him, power went from him to her. Power to heal, power to make whole, power to free, power to rescue the woman out of her state. But he didn't know. He didn't know immediately who had touched him. He knew that somebody had, and something significant happened. He knew that. But he didn't know who had touched him. This was Jesus, fully the Son of God, but still fully the Son of Man. And having to ask questions sometimes to find out what was going on, don't ever let that worry you. Jesus was fully human. Didn't make him any less God. He was fully God. But here he had to ask questions to find out who touched him. The disciples think, Jesus, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. They're all pushing against you. Who touched me, says Jesus. The disciples didn't know. He didn't know. But the woman was prepared now to come forward. She knew something had happened. She knew she was different. She knew she was changed. So she comes forward. This is the, fifth, the faith that takes risks again. She comes forward. And she finds that Jesus, yes, has healed her, but Jesus wants to do more to her than heal her. He wants to do more for her than heal her. He wants to make her whole. He wants to make her restored in every aspect of that word, society-wise, church-wise or synagogue-wise, community-wise. He wants to make her whole, someone who can live a whole life free in the community again, free from this horrible stuff of being an outcast free from the bondage of that. He wants to make her whole physically and strong again, free from the disease. And he wants to make her know the love of God in fullness that she might be a child of God, filled with the power of God, filled with the power of Jesus. He wants to do more for her than heal her, and he does. And when she comes out into the open, when she actually owns up to be the woman who touched him, she says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the older translation, daughter, your faith has healed you, made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of the plague. Be rid of it all. Be free of it all. Be whole. That's what Jesus does for people. He makes us whole. Brings shalom, the wholeness of God, the peace of God, the completeness of God into our lives. That's what happened to this woman who took the risk of faith and touched the cloak, the, robe of the, 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 cloak, the edge of Jesus' cloak. Next one, please. And Jesus, in doing that, caused problems for the other man in the story. Jesus, in taking time to deal with this woman, to treat her as a person, to treat her not as just another object to be healed, but a person to be made whole, Jesus took time to do that. Jesus took time to deal with her. Can you imagine Jairus? Can you imagine yourself in Jairus' situation? It's all within Capernaum, this. It's not a big distance from where Jesus was by the lakeside to Jairus' house, probably. It wasn't a large distance. But there's a large crowd milling around, and everything was slow. Like a pedestrian traffic jam, in a sense. But even more so, he took time to stop and to deal with this woman. And you can imagine Jairus sort of 
getting itchy feet and getting all uptight. Come on, Jesus, hurry up. It's great to see this woman getting healed, but hurry up, Jesus, hurry up. My daughter's dying. It was a costly delay because very shortly after the woman was restored, Jairus' servants come over and they said to him, Jairus, there's no point bothering this teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. Just matter-of-factly, your daughter's died. Can you imagine Jairus' heart ripped apart by that? Ripped open by that? Your daughter has died. And the servants are just telling, forget about Jesus. We don't need him anymore. Your daughter's died. It's all over. Death is one. Jesus knows what they're saying. And Jesus isn't finished with Jairus yet. And he says to Jairus, or rather he makes a command to Jairus, the commonest command, there's it up there, the, the commonest command in the Bible, you might think it's love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the greatest commandment. You might think the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second great commandment. You might think it's love your brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Of course it is. No, the most common command in the Bible, Old Testament and New, is do not be afraid you hear that of Jesus? How many times do we need to hear that in our lives? Do not be afraid. Faith takes risks, but faith has to face fear if it's going to take risks and overcome fear. And it's only Jesus who makes the commandment who can bring us the peace. And he did that with Jairus. He said, do not be afraid. And then he says, just believe, just hang on in there, Jairus. Hang on in there, you'll see stuff yet. You know, so often we become so impatient with Jesus. I'm the same as everybody else. We're praying for something and we only wish Jesus would do it quickly. Come on, Jesus, get it over and done with. Get him healed, get her healed, get her restored, get her saved, whatever it is. We want him to do it quickly. And I believe he wants to do it quickly too. But Jesus takes time with people. I don't know how it all works out in the timetable of heaven, but I know it does work out. And I know that often what we think are denials, no's to an answer to our prayer, are not denials, but they're delays. Genuine delays. We don't know the reasons, but there are reasons. God has his reasons. I believe we'll understand a great deal more in glory, but God has his reasons. And here, the reasons were he wanted to take time to restore this woman. Then he deal with Jairus. And then he deal with Jairus' daughter, and he got to Jairus' house, and the, all, the, the, all the, the hoo-ha of a, a wake taking place. There's genuine stuff there where the mother's grieving her heart out, other people, grannies and grandas, pouring their hearts out. But there are people in there just for the show of it all, just for the excitement of it all, just for the, the whole social aspect of it all. And Jesus has no time for that nonsense. And he goes in, and he basically chases them out. He says to them, she's not dead, she's only asleep, and they laugh at him. They quickly change from mourning to laughter. He chases them out. He puts them out through the door, and then he takes the mum and the dad, Jairus and his wife. He takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes into the wee girl's room, and she's lying there, a corpse. She's lying there dead, cold. Now, she just died, but she was still cold. She was dead. She would have been just cold. And Jesus performs no tricks. 
Jesus does no mighty sort of magic. Jesus just simply says to her, little girl, I said to you, get up. Little girl, I said to you, get up. And that's what she did. That's what Mark tells us. Peter is probably Mark's source because we believe that much of what Peter, well, much of what Mark wrote is what Peter witnessed. Peter is in there in the room. He's in the room. He saw the dead body. He's in the room. He heard the words of Jesus, little girl, I said to your eyes. He saw the wee girl get up out of bed. It blew his mind, I'm sure. It did more than blow the minds of Jairus and his wife. It filled them with absolute joy. From the depths of despair to the heights of heaven in terms of joy. And then Jesus said, he simply says to them, give her something to eat. She's hungry. Mighty miracle, but Jesus dealing with it as an everyday effect, an everyday thing. That's the power of Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus we preach and proclaim in the church. That's the Jesus many of us know and love and seek to follow. That's the Jesus who wants us to be available to people out there in the community so that his works can be happening through us. That's the Jesus who for us and for others, even after 12 years of sickness with a woman, can restore and make whole. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus isn't finished with you yet. But get to Jesus. Don't sit back waiting. Get to Jesus. That's the Jesus who's prepared to go with the synagogue ruler to his home, even after the wee girl has died. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus of today, I believe. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Do we know him? Do we know him like that? Do we sometimes be astounded by him? Amazed by him? Do we want to be like him in any way that we can and be available to people and through the power of the Holy Spirit be able to help because we trust on Jesus and draw on his resources? May God do his mighty works through us and may his glory be seen through us and may we celebrate and worship him as we share in the rest of this service today. Let's pray.